Welcome to Insights and Sound, where we talk to the people behind the scenes, behind the technology, and behind the music. People you may not know, but you should. And please check out getitinwriting.net forward slash shows for a full list of our podcasts and YouTube series. My guest is Chris Leonard. He is the co-host of the Signal to Noise podcast. He's also a live sound engineer, and he is just the dude. What can I say? <laughs> How's it going? Uh, it's going great, man. How are you? Good to have you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's late where you are, so we'll try and be gentle with our questioning. Uh, time, time doesn't mean anything. Time is all relative. Yeah, there you go. Um, so let's start with a little bit of background. You started off as a musician. Are you one of those people who like started off as a musician and then decided for some reason to go into live sound or what? No, I'm not a failed musician who became a sound guy. No, no <laughs> I was being more kind than that. <laughs> no, no, no. I um, it's funny. It's funny. An episode of Sickles and Noise. We we're just recording the night. We talked about that. Um, that I'm I'm different in that I can't play an instrument, uh, which is not the typical sound guy thing. Um, I think that's had some positives and negatives, but no, my, my dad did sound in college. And so as a little kid, the joke is that I've been doing sound since I could walk and I put gear in the back of a station wagon since I was a little kid. Um, and that's just all I've ever done is done sound. I tried to do some instruments and I didn't have enough patience to stick with it. I just loved everything about sound um, and wanted to mix. So, you know, my dad and I's joke is that the, the, the tape machine, the echo echo is, is, or delay is my instrument. You know, that's what I get to play or I play the console. So um, my, the console is my, my instrument of choice. That is interesting though, because, you know, for a lot of people and, and, you know, we joke about being failed musicians and stuff like that, but I think a lot of musicians come into it because they start out that way. And I think it also influences how you listen. And so the fact that you don't play a particular instrument, I, I could see that working as a positive in a way, because you're not picking something out. And, yeah. And that, that's, it. that's the thing that I've always said early on was, uh, was, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little more neutral. You, you know, you used to say like, Oh, I could tell it that that sound guy's a guitar player. I could tell us sound guy's a drummer or something. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think some of that stigma has gone away. I think it's because of the progression of, of mixes and the technology has allowed us or the, the bar is higher, I should say in mixing. So I think, I regret not being able or not, not playing or not having that ear, you know, I may, I may not be able to tell if something's quite out of pitch. I, sometimes I could tell, but you know, so th there's definitely, um, areas where I would have benefited had I played for sure. Like I hindsight, I wish I was forced to play the piano or something to bring that along. Well, I think what that does do, which you've probably learned to compensate in other ways is it gives you a certain vocabulary. Sure. Yeah. And I'm not speaking necessarily musical in the sense of, you know, that flatted ninth over there doesn't work or something like that, but more yeah. along the lines of just being able to, you know, like when I've worked in, I've, I've worked with musicians in the studio, they, they sometimes say things in a little bit of a nebulous fashion. Like, you know, I've, I've had somebody to ask me to make their guitar more Brown, mm -hmm. things like that, you know, so being able to sort of understand that, but obviously you've, you've managed to come up with that language anyway. Sure. And I, yeah, sure. And I spent most of my touring career as a modern engineer. Um, and so oh, I'm sorry. 
No, no, no. I, uh, I love, I love being a modern engineer. I'm, 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 I'm all for it. I think that modern engineer is actually the best end of the snake, and uh, and both ends are great, right? So, yeah. but from a modern engineer standpoint, um, mixing is a little bit different, um, and. And so I think maybe maybe that's how I was able to do it better. I focused more on the psychology side of doing monitors. Like I mm. actually thrived off of that. Like I enjoyed being able to read the body language of somebody and know um, whether they're not happy or they need something different just from the body language. That's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that side of things. Well, that also explains, you know, one of my other questions to you was going to be the idea that for a lot of us, especially – engineers whether it's whether it's live or whether it's in the studio there's an art form that involves basically being able to sort of hear the big picture but at the same time deconstruct it hmm. you know like if i'm mixing a show or if i'm mixing a band in the studio i need to know how to pick out what the guitars are doing in order to like you know separate them separate frequencies whatever it is but i also need to be able to really hear how they're you know, how they're sitting in the whole mix in that sure. sense. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, a hard thing. It's very easy for us to get hyper-focused on, man, how's my parallel compression of the kick drum and the bass actually, you know, combining and summing in the subgroup and whatever. And at the end of the day, if the people didn't actually hear what they were singing, you failed at your job, right? And so if you can't step back from that and remove yourself from that, um, there's definitely something to be said there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly you learned a lot from your dad as far as all of that goes, because it it seems to me, especially if you're talking about monitors, not only learning body language, but really learning there's a totally different dynamic sitting up at Monitor Beach than there is being way out in the house. Yeah. And actually, so a lot of my monitor chops or uh, teaching and stuff came from specifically two people when I was at Maryland Sound, uh, Will Miller being one of them and, and Gary Hurstis. So I, I toured Gary Hurstis. I did mostly some local stuff with Maryland Sound. And then um, and then Will, I went on a bunch of tours with him. And uh, yeah, no, he really, ironically, he went to, Will went to school for um, psychology. He, he double majored in English and psychology at Georgetown University and ended up being a sound guy for some reason. Um, oh. Oh, I could see that. I could definitely <laughs> see that. Um, but no, that's the I early on. I don't know. It just there's something satisfying about um, you know, especially like on festivals, and you're just ripping together. I used to do a lot of like R and B and hip hop, and there's some big bands. You're talking ten mixes or so on stage, and you're just and and I fortunately jumped in on analog before digital, and so you're just dancing across that console. Um, and there's something very gratifying that I can. I'm I'm physically affecting this show on how I can how comfortable I can or cannot make these artists and musicians. You know, um I might not be able to please 15, 18,000 people in the arena, but that six, that eight, that whatever people on stage, that's all that matters to me. And I'm gonna get instant gratification by what they give to me. Uh, and I and I directly affect how that show goes through that. Yeah, that's what I was that's what I was thinking when you said that is that yeah, you're only impacting those people on the stage, but you're impacting their ability to convey that. Yep. Yeah, because mm -hmm. if I have a bad night, they're gonna have a bad night. Yeah. <laughs> you better hope not. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So were you always drawn to live? I mean, did you did you ever consider like working in the studio or anything like that? I mean, obviously you had an audio path from day one, as you yeah. say. 
Um, yeah, oh, it was always live. Um, you know, in you know, retrospective, retrospectively thinking, um, my dad and I used to drive home from gigs listening to Jackson's Brown's Loadout Stay, right? Love it. Um, uh-huh. And that was my education of what touring was, if you know the song. Like, he describes what touring is, what it's like to be in the bus, all those things. Yeah. And so it was this grand-ass thing that him and I would, oh, it would be cool one day to be on tour. Like, my dad never did the touring thing. He just did the local club scene or whatever, church and stuff like that. So, um, once I got the chance to go do that, uh, yeah, there was, I, you know, I did go to a school, um, uh, Sheffield Institute for the Recording Arts. It was a local recording school in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I even knew during that time, like I was there to get, to lay fundamentals, understand, um, maybe some physics, how EQs work and compression, things like that. All the things that you can take to live. Um, but the nauseam of listening to a, a snare for an hour and then the same sl- song for days and days and days, uh, was not appealing. I enjoy it in spurts working with like friends bands and things like that, but from a long term, no, it's the, the gratification of moving a body of people in an experience and having one chance to get that right. There's nothing like that. The first half of that appeals to me. The second half of that scares me shitless, man. The idea of you only have one chance, you know, I mean, that's one of the things that's really nice about being in the studio is oops, let's try that again. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, now you were just talking a minute ago about coming up on analog. So for monitor world, I think in certain ways, the digital changeover changed things in a more fundamental way than it did for front of house. Because now you have the ability for everybody to handle their own mix. You have the ability to walk around on stage with an iPad and stuff like that. How is, I mean... How was that for you in terms of adjusting to all that? I would say the biggest change for me would be speed on festivals and things like that, right? So, I mean, if you got a PM4K, PM5K, H3000, XL4, whatever, right? Name the, mm-hmm. the flavor of the day analog consoles. That's a damn lot of knobs to turn. And if if you want to um, quickly spin up, it's a lot of twisting. Mm-hmm. Um, and... With with digital, I mean, easily you know, flip the faders, boom, you you, you know, so the the speed there, no doubt, uh, you, you know, you can get there faster. I think that that's one side of things. Um, so th- that to me was the biggest change or um, of evolving would would be with speed. Um, I don't think it necessarily changed the landscape of how things sound, right? I think I was able to get a good enough sound out of you know from an analog s- style of things. From a monitor standpoint, it was it was more about speed for me. I'm not thinking necessarily of the sound itself, but you know, for example, I mean, obviously, you know, a, a whole band on in ears is going to be a whole lot of a different proposition than you know a band with a stage full of wedges and everything. Sure, sure. But if you've got the ladder, if you've got a stage that's got tons of stuff swimming around on stage, I'm thinking that the ability to stand there on stage and hear that from wherever that person's going to be standing, that's got to be a little bit different as sure. opposed to like having to deal with hand signals and stuff. Yeah, sure. And I think actually you brought up a good point, the the advent of in-ears uh, again, because uh, early on it was almost all wedges, right? The advent of in-ears 
almost probably more of a difference than the digital made in a sense of how you mix, what you mix. Um, you know, that was one of the fortunate things when I was out with Tears for Fears. Um, I mean, people who actually have done it long enough and know what they want and can actually ask for the right things. And, Hey, can you, can you pan this this way and do this and this, and you can, the, the, the options are endless, right. Um, or a band like that, that's used to using very specific plugins in the studio. Um, they're like, Hey, can we drop X, you know, plug in in and make it sound just like that? Yep. Let's plug it in. Here we go. You know, that's so a good point. Yeah. 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 Well, I remember, you know, when, when in-ears were first becoming a thing, um, I mean, I was working with Shure and we were turning people on to them and there was definitely a little bit of resistance. Okay. Bullshit. There was a lot of resistance. Absolutely. And one of the things that was always frustrating to me was the idea of having half a stage on wedges, the other half on in-ears. And there's always one or two people who would only wear one ear. Yep. It's like you're defeating the whole purpose here and you're making my job even harder, right? And and doing more damage to your ears by yeah. only wearing one. No, that was actually something that I thrived on actually was the people who complained about wanting to be or that didn't want to do in-ears and had bad experiences. I said, well, you haven't hasn't been mixed well enough for you yet. I would challenge them. Like, in fact, I had a tour, um, Anthony Hamilton, the R&B artist and uh, the MD, the keyboard player, he refused to do in-ears. And I was like, give me a chance dude give me a chance right like let's i'll put the wedge there right let's work the rehearsals you know listen to it or whatever and like as we progress to the tour and, and it's like he did the one ear thing with the wedge i'm like all right tonight put two ears in please put two ears two ears in i'll leave the wedge on it's there you know and then it's like okay that's i'm gonna unplug the wedge it's not gonna be there tonight with ears and by the end of the tour he was like this is the best experience ever, right? So that type of transition, I thrived on being able to take people from bad experiences on in-ears. Most people who complain about in-ears is because of a bad engineer, not because of in-ears being bad. Yes, yes. That's interesting. Well, and it segues nicely to the other stuff I want to talk to you about, which is under the broad umbrella of education. You have done, you and your and your colleagues have done so much in terms of just sharing a wealth of knowledge in our industry. And that is something that I really applaud and really just love you guys to death for, man. You know, I mean, the fact that, because, you know, all of us deal a lot with younger students coming up and people just coming in the industry. And I think not only are you really, enlightening people by you know interviewing people and talking about stuff because we all know man you know the folks behind the scenes they have the best stories right you know but it's also i think the ability to share this information especially for people who have less experience it kind of lets them all know that you know you're not going through this alone yeah, no, we, you know, so Signals and Noise, we started end of 2019. It started out of just, hey, we're all audio people who like to talk to all other audio people. If other people want to listen, cool, right? Yep. Um, yep. And for the record, that's still what we do. Um, but 
what we've realized is that, hey, for whatever reason, people enjoy listening to us. They either got something out and we're not a direct teaching podcast. We're not like, you know, here's step one to how to do your parallel bus compression, right? Like there's there's places for that. There's great resources, Pooch Raybould, MXU, all, yeah. all these other places, right? Yep. We didn't, you know, um, we try to do a healthy mix of life experiences, talking about food and tacos because that's more fun, um, you know, things like that, right? And then it, it kind of evolved into... Uh, kind of starting some mentorship programs and realizing that we can try to make an impact and give back. And now our core focus, the language we've, we've been putting to it is we want to help change the face of our industry, um, whether Amen. that's race, sexual, whatever, age, all the things, right? Changing the face of the industry. And I'm not here to shame the previous generation, right? Um, but what I am here to do is to remove any barriers and roadblocks that are going to inhibit the next generation from coming, right? Um, the big thing that you may be sort of alluding to that we recently dropped is like, hey, there's a lot of shame or shaming happening on audio schools and the people who came from there, whether it's Full Sail, whether it's Crass, whether it's Sheffield, where I came from. Um, and, you know, we're not going to stand for penalizing somebody from where they came from. Um, let people show their merit, their drive, and do their thing. Um, the biggest analogy that I, that I just kind of came across recently is like, how many other schools, universities, colleges, um, business, law, medical, whatever, put out thousands and thousands of people a year? And yet we're not shaming those schools, right? But yet everyone at the drop of the hat wants to say, oh, full sale this or what, what? stop. Let's talk about the people, right? Full sale and every other universe, and I know I keep saying full sale, it's just the easiest analogy everyone knows about. Um, they're there to sell a product. And I'm not saying that that's all they're there to do, but they're there to sell a product just like every other business school or whatever, right? At the end of the day, the people have to put through to that. So, sorry, and rant. Um, but I, I'm, I'm hyper-focused on this. We're super proud about the mentees, um, both that we have, you know, Michael has at least four or five that are now off to, off to their jobs. Um, I've had people that I've, I've worked with who, who have gotten, you know, their first tours and whatever. And it's not about what Michael and me and Kyle are doing, right? We have over 40 pairs of people mentored up right now together, and we're working on doing more. Um, that's, that's our focus for the future. So, um, yeah. And rant, sorry. <laughs> you know, to your point, first of all, I think all of these schools can only do so much, yeah. you know, and especially, I mean, for me having come up through the studios, you know, one of the things that I have said millions of times, and it applies just as much to live is, you know, I can teach you how to run a compressor. I can't teach you when to keep your mouth shut. I can't teach you about the experience and the life, you know, the language. And that's the thing, you know, I've, because I've done a lot of PR for companies over the years. One of the things that people have said to me all the time is I can hire PR people. I can hire marketing people. And it's a lot easier for me to hire somebody who doesn't know anything about marketing, but understands how to talk to pro audio people. You know, yep. and to your point, I mean, one of the things I love about the way you guys do this and, you know, it's something that I try and do with with our show, too, is I don't want it to be instructional. I want it to be like a hang. I want it to be like yeah. we're sitting at the Hilton Bar after a NAM show or, 
you know, sitting in catering or whatever it is, you know, and have these conversations because that's the stuff that really brings the wisdom, the knowledge, you know, and it's not, it's not always about how to use a piece of gear. It's how do you survive this, this life? You know, how do you, how do you find a place in this industry where you can flourish? And that's going to be different for every single person. And whether you've gone to school or not, whatever school you've gone to, there are people who have gone to the best schools, you know, whether it's Berkeley or whatever, McGill, something like that. And they come out and some of them are okay and some of them are great and some of them are not. And right. people who have come out of, you know, full sale or whatever other school, same thing. It comes down to, I can pass on that knowledge to you, but I can't help you do something with it. Absolutely. Yeah. It uh, one of the things that I like talking to people about is the job interview process or just like, I don't call it life coaching, whatever. Like, what do you want to do? Right. Yeah. Like figuring yeah. that out. Right. Um, and, and one of the things you had mentioned that kind of ties into the advice I give when anyone is interviewing is, you know, you don't need to sell them on your technical ability because they can train the technical ability. You need to show them that you give a shit what your personality is what your work ethic is what your drive yep, what you're a good you, hang what yep. have you been yeah what have you been doing to study over this past pandemic like the, the soft skills are what you have to show you know they can't train the soft skills to a degree they can train the technical knowledge all day long um and so the other thing that we try to do from the podcast standpoint is um I, I believe we're teaching in a different way, in a story format. I know personally, I can learn way better by just, let's just riff and tell stories. And every, you know, five different people are going to pull a different bit out of that. Totally cool. You know, or how can I relate this to myself? Um, so that type of storytelling teaching osmosis um, is definitely what I'm going for. That's the big thing right there. How can I relate this to myself or my own experience? And I think so many times that's so important because so many of us coming up in this industry, we, a lot of what we learn is self-taught. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we learn is gleaning that information through watching other people. And so for, for somebody who is just coming into the industry to have the opportunity to have a moment where they say, oh, you went through that too? You know, that's just, it makes you feel like, okay, then I'm not so screwed up. Then I'm not, you know, I mean, that I think is so important. You know, Absolutely. the other thing that you mentioned, you just cued me on something was the idea of um, identifying what you want to do, because I think, especially when you're just coming out of school, you think, you know, what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, I think one of the coolest things about working in this industry and coming up is the idea that you get turned on to stuff that half the time, I mean, you know, I do these panels and half the time people come up to me afterward and say, I didn't even know that was a job, yep. you know? And so there are so many things that you kind of discover as you're en route to what you think you want to do. And, you know, even if they, even if it doesn't really stick, it's another bit of experience that you can tuck in and use some other time. 
Absolutely. I, there's so many things there. So one would be, first off, I didn't think I'd be into monitors when I went to Maryland sound, you know, like that, like when you're working in the club scene with my dad or whatever, I mean, that's, it's just all ripping from front of house. It's whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, it wasn't until I got a taste of it that I was like, you know what, like, this is the thing, this is what I want to do. And then I didn't realize that through doing all that monitors, you know, I've spent the last 11, 12 years in the corporate world, that set me up for all of the mixing that I need to do for corporate. I got to mm. send IFBs. I got to do a broadcast mix. I got to do all these other mixes. Oh, wait, that's a monitor engineer, right? Like it's the same thing. I got to do fullback. I got to do you know, anyway. So there's that. Yeah. So in terms of chasing the, the, the advice that I typically give is what drives you, what gives you the most satisfaction, right? Um, first off, if you're in this for the money, you're in the wrong business. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and so while yet, yet, yes, you can make a lucrative car uh, career in this business, that can't be your prime motive. So once you get past that, what drives you, what gets you out of bed, chase that until it doesn't get you out of bed and then chase the next thing. And then the money will follow. Yep. So uh, as long as you start there, um, if you, I'll go as far as to say, if you're not in this industry rooted in passion, you're in the wrong industry. Um, and we like to say that the music business, like, you know, you, you yourself are, I mean, you're a technical editor or a writer, a copywriter. That's, you're in the business, right? You're in a different part of the business, but you're just as much in the business as I'm in the business, as Kyle Chernside, as Michael Lawrence, as whatever, right? It's still the business, and you may never realize that that avenue um, will take you. It, Samantha Potter from um, Churchtown University, Alan mm -hmm. Heath. She works for a manufacturer right now. She would have a year ago, two years ago, she would have never seen herself at a manufacturer. Yet that's where she is. I started out as a recording engineer working in studios. I would have not seen myself doing half the things I've done. I never imagined I'd be a product manager, designing stuff, things like that. You know, but I think all of these things. They all make us who we are. Yes. And they also enable us to see everybody else's role in how things fit in. I mean, you know, you talk about working monitors, but if you didn't understand what was going on at front of house, you would not be the monitor engineer that you are. True. And if you didn't understand all the other aspects, you know, systems engineers, I mean, and right down to, you know, if you didn't understand what a drummer does and what a drummer needs, you would not be able to from an empath perspective, be able to put yourself in that part of it to say, okay, I understand what, how what I do affects that. Yep. So I think all that experience, you know, you carry it with you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I love the way you guys are, are helping to bring this community together and to, to educate, you know, I know your, I know your mentorship thing is doing great because, uh, I've been on the waiting list to mentor people forever. And I know that you guys got like hundreds of people volunteering. And I think that says right there so much about our industry, you know, cause man, everybody wants to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. The, the pairing process has been difficult. Um, you know, <laughs> we're like, this is a great idea. We put out this form, everybody fills it out. Like, Oh crap. Now we have to pair everybody. Right. Now uh, we have to so, do this. Um, yeah. So yes, the, uh, that part of it, uh, we're, we're trying to figure out a better way to facilitate it, but, um, a lot of it just happens organically. Um, you know, yeah, the right match comes along and stuff. Yeah. 
there's, uh, you know, look, there's a lot of negativity in social media spaces. Um, however, we're pretty proud of the social media spaces that we have. Our Facebook group is very healthy. There's a, you know, so there's a lot of osmosis mentorship connections and things that get made there. Our Discord server, things like that. There's a lot going on there that, um, again, it's, we don't want this to be about us. We want to just help facilitate the space, the conversations, and then y'all run with it. That's, that's what it's about. Yeah. And I think that's what's so great about it is uh, and, you know, I'll I'll shout out to, you know, the folks at Sound Girls and all of the other people that we all work with. Hey, audio student, you know, yep. I think in all of these groups, I rarely hear a negative, you know, I mean, once in a while, like if somebody comes in there, um, I think the last time I saw something negative was when somebody was coming in and trying to sell something to everybody, yep. you know, and yes, that will happen because, you know, some of us are going to look at that and say, what are you doing? You know, but truth of the matter is 99 point ad infinitum percent of the time you ask a question, you get lots and lots of help. If anything, you ask a question, you get more answers than you expected to. And, you know, you may be drowning in information, but you're going to have people who want to help and want to really help to bring more young people, more women, more people of color into this industry because we're all tired of it being all old white guys, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Well, and we've been trying to break the stigma or not stigma, tell people like, don't be afraid to ask the question, right? Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. like there's, there's a wealth of amount of people that all you gotta do is ask them and they're gonna, and they're gonna, you know, give it to you. We're, you know, um, it's, you, you just gotta ask, uh, you know, and nine times out of 10, as long as that person wasn't busy, um, and if they didn't answer you, maybe they weren't the right person to pick the brain from, you know, yeah. um, you know, so, but for the most part, I mean, if you reach out, to, like even I find this crazy all the time, people reach out to Michael, Kyle and I, and I'm like, oh man, I'm, 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 I'm it, they, they're amazed that we took time to talk to them. I'm like, dude, I'm just another sound human. What, who do you think I am? People happen to listen to me jab every week, but that doesn't make me any different than the, you, you first year audio student or, or, or whatever. We're just, we're just audio people We're people. We are, but, you know, we have something to share. And that's what I really love, man. The fact that we have something to share and and people want to share it. People are willing to share it. I think that's just, that's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Chris Leonard, thank you for being my guest. Well, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to, I, I, I uh -oh. want to do it. I want to, uh -oh. I want to do what we do at the end of Singleton Noise. So uh -oh. I'm, I'm scared. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? I would quote Fred Rogers and say, look for the helpers. You know, Mr. Rogers, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Look for the helpers, man. I want to be one of the helpers. Nice. I want to be one of those people who people say, oh, man, thank you. You know, and it's not that you, you know, you hooked me up or anything like that. Just, you know, you were there for me at a moment when I needed something, you know, or some body or some affirmation or something like that. If I've done that, then I've done some good. It's awesome. So, you know, we're all we're all trying to do the same thing, man. That's that's <laughs> why I love you guys. <laughs> thank you for having me. Hey, I'm Daniel Keller. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and join us each week for Insights and Sound.